Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. Shows produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. Welcome to episode number 131 of the Foxy Podcast Show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. Behind me right now, you're hearing a track from Citizen Electrical, which is a new project of L. Eugene Methy and Megan Seabee, both veterans and active players within the Omaha underground music community. And this piece comes from their debut full-length archive spin-offs. just came out on Gertrude Tapes. Gertrude Tapes is a label that Methy has run off and on, dating back to 2002. But in recent years, he has resumed a more regular release schedule, issuing new and archival works from the likes of Russ Waterhouse, Simon Joyner, C. Worth, Ned Milligan, Das Torpedoes, and his very own Ray Cash project. I recently had a chance to speak with Methy about his work with Gertrude Tapes and some of his own solo and collaborative musical activities over the years. And on this episode, you'll hear that interview, along with a fairly broad selection of tracks from various Gertrude Tapes releases and Methy's own releases. But before we get into those interview segments, though, I thought I'd play a few tracks from the Gertrude Tapes catalog, starting with this one called Three Days Adrift from Seaworth's A Farther Sea Tape. Thank you. 
I see that there was a release credited to your project, Rake Cash, that came out in 2011 on Gertrude Tapes. But it seems like the label then didn't really resume activity or maybe didn't sort of officially begin a more active release schedule until about 2016. So I was curious what is some of the background on Gertrude Tapes and how it came to be and and how it has sort of continued to evolve here in recent years. Yeah, uh there's been some pretty long periods of inactivity. Um, I guess the yeah the, the very first release came out way back in 2000, 2002. Okay. Which was a tape that Kidology tape by Mark Ritchie. Oh, was it okay? Yeah, and back then all of the releases were just focused on either spoken word or field recordings. So that probably covered like the first eight or nine releases. And then after that, there was like a, about a nine-year break, take, yep. yeah, take, taking us to 2011, and then, yeah, one or two releases, and then another five-year break. Now, you just, like, reissued that Mark Ritchie one again, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, because that initial, you know, release was just, like, seriously, like, five to ten copies or something ridiculous. Okay. So I, I really wanted more people to hear it. Right, right. Well, Gertrude Tapes, uh, in a certain way, feels like um, a bit like a new outlet for 
what I consider like alumni from the old Animal Disguise Recordings imprint, uh, which operated for quite a few years, probably along the same time, you know, when you were, when you were saying when you were getting Gertrude tapes going. But um, yeah. do, you, do you, and I know that label is kind of, I think it's done or maybe it's on hiatus, but do you see your label as a bit of an outgrowth of maybe the connections that you made through working with that particular label? Yeah, I think I think Animal Disguise is pretty much done from what I understand, but uh, I think it's just Das Torpedoes and later on Ray Cash that were on Animal Disguise. Um, I suppose aside from Mammal, which was sort of the main project. Yeah, and you know, and I released. I used to have an old tape label called Seagull that covered like the years probably like 98 through 2000 or so. Mm -hmm. And I released a mammal cassette. And that's the the original Das Torpedoes. The Russian submarine was on Seagull as well. Okay. So that's kind of how I met Gary at uh, Animal Disguise. And yeah, he had, yeah, I was a big fan of his band and his label. Um, Actually, I think I've only met him once. I met him in Seattle about seven years ago. But yeah, he's still Mammal Project is still going strong and putting out some great records. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think as far as yeah artists on Animal Disguise, I think there's just two of them that have been, if you count Ray Cash, that have been on Gertrude. Sure. Okay. Well, with your own music, uh, it's it's kind of moved between like these various song-based forms to. I guess more open-ended, improvisational, more sound-based styles, uh, even to more composed pieces. And I was just wondering, as the label has progressed over the years, and you kind of alluded to this, I mean, it started off with just field recordings, but, yeah. but do you see it mirroring some of the same tendencies that you have within your own work over the years as well? Yeah, I think I think so. I try to make sure that it doesn't do that, but it's it definitely it's it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done a whole lot of field recording, you know, released a whole lot of field recordings of my own. But but I, I would say a lot of the a lot of the artists right now seem to have at least an improvisational jumping off point. If it's it's I don't think any of it's really completely improvised. But that's kind of where they start. And then there's other. Other albums like Ned Milligan, I would say like even Russ Waterhouse's cassette, they're they feel pretty tightly composed to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would, I definitely like a lot of improvisational music, but more than anything else, I do like really appreciate the kind of tightly composed stuff, sure. even if it doesn't seem like it's tightly composed. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I was a good follow up, I guess, to that is it. It does seem like um, some of the stuff that you're drawn to has this sort of personal um, homespun stamp on it, where even like a particular space itself is is sort of present in the recordings. Um, is that a fair observation uh, for some of your musical interests? I mean, that like the Russ Waterhouse tape in particular really captures a, a room feel or even the yeah. Mark, the Mark Ritchie tape that you're mentioning you know is a, a guy with oh, a microphone yeah. <laughs> a tape in a in a house you know just telling these sort of great stories you know yeah that Mark Ritchie tape 
I don't know if he, if he really meant it to like that for there to be that much bleed through. I think that was just the situation. You know, he was recording it in his, in his apartment in Glasgow. He was just getting a lot of bleed through of people cranking classic rock. But it like mm-hmm. it really adds to the the atmosphere of that recording. And uh, yeah, Russ Waterhouse, I think for his recording, actually kind of amplified just the, you know, just the the gallery itself, just the just the air and the sounds moving through the gallery. That was a big part of, a you know, that tape. Right. Right. But yeah, I, lo- I mean, I'd love to hear space and environments reflected in music. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, yeah, you're right. I, I think a lot of artists on Gertrude work with that. Is that but something I, specific with your own work that you see that you like to, to toy with a little bit as well? Um, um, I mean, I don't know if I hear that as much in the rate cash stuff, because that seems much more orchestrated, but um, maybe something like that, that Citizen Electrical stuff, that new record that you have, feels a little bit like there's a spaciousness to that recording that I hear. Yeah, yeah, there, that that captures more room sounds, for sure. I, I think rate cash, a lot of that is actually, especially the stuff that's keyboard-based, is that a lot of that's recorded direct. Sure, yeah. But, but what, I mean... I, I really, I mean, I love when people use the studio as an instrument. It just, you know, some bands can't afford to spend much time in professional studios. So I guess I end up releasing a lot of stuff that, you know, where people are just recording at home. Right, right. Yeah. That, that kind of DIY uh, quality to those recordings. Yeah, because, I mean, most bands that do end up going into a local studio, they just, you know, bash it out live in a day or two they don't really have any time to to really truly like utilize the studio right and at this stage with a lot of this music it is difficult to even for one to even justify or to pay for uh doing it in a studio i would say yeah yeah if they yeah if they have the same equipment that's really available to you you know for yeah i mean they they have the knowledge to really use it well mm-hmm but yeah, I mean, there, there's something really exciting about when people can flesh out ideas in their home studio, e- even if they have to deal with a lot of technical problems that can be really challenging and fun. And, you know, it's nice to hear when people, it's nice, it's nice when people just have a limited amount of gear to work with. There's mm-hmm. something like really satisfying about, about that. Right, right. Well, you've been making music for close to, I mean, go, my goodness, like two decades now. And it's kind of like tracing back, just kind of looking through all the different projects and stuff that you've been involved in. And I was wondering if that group, do you pronounce it naturalista? Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, we, we just pronounce it naturalist. Naturalist. But yeah, but yeah that's, that's the incorrect incorrect pronunciation but that's how that's how we choose to pronounce it <laughs> right because yeah the 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 e at the end threw me i guess but uh, yeah it, it's kind of a homage to the the naturalist writers in france that's okay. how that, that's spelled but yeah it, it seems too pretentious <laughs> for us to <laughs> pronounce it naturalist gotcha well was that your first group like your first attempt at making music back in the day it it probably sounds like it would be sounds like it would be someone's first band, but uh, I think yeah, Naturalist started in 1999, I think. Okay. But uh, 
Yeah, I think my first bands were going back to the mid-90s when I was just out of high school. Okay. Yeah, there was... And they were mostly, like, pop bands. You know, just... We released a few seven inches. Um, one of the bands had, like, a six-guitar bass drum lineup. It was, <laughs> it was pretty pretty nuts because that was like an era where everyone was in power trios and we had this sort of obnoxious obnoxious band was this like a like grand orchestral pop music or what were you playing i mean it was, no, it was, that a, it was pretty minimal because, oh, really? yeah i mean if anything it was kind of inspired by like the kind of spaceman three just really oh, okay. just yeah. driving riffs and chord like simple chord progressions just really driving them into the ground mm -hmm. they were like i mean it's just too difficult to do a lot of changes with that many people or we just didn't really feel like practicing that much yeah what was the name of that project that was that was a band called the luxo values the Lux okay okay well i noticed that one of your early naturalist uh <laughs> releases came out on last visible dog which yeah that was a label that i really really admired back in the day and i think they might even be kind of ramping up activity again i saw little bits about them putting out new things but i was just wondering if you kind of got into that area of like psych folk improv kind of during the the early aughts sort of that heyday of small run cdr labels and the like and you know like <laughs> yeah. they were there there was kind of an interesting time with like that and maybe jeweled antler and things like that and i was just wondering if that era you know even informs what you're doing with gertrude tapes to this day perhaps yeah that that really was the era of the cdr for <laughs> sure yeah i mean it was it was a great time for me i mean just discovering a lot of a lot of music and just getting a lot of stuff in the mail every week, a lot of tapes and CDRs. And, uh, yeah, Last Visible Dog introduced me to a lot of those, a lot of those bands that I like, uh, that I liked at the time and like now and helped me form a lot of friendships outside of Omaha, which, I mean, at the time was, it was kind of, you know, we never toured or anything, so it was, that was like really essential at the time. It was kind of not pre-internet but no one was really utilizing the internet very much so mm -hmm. yeah that, that was a that was a good time and i definitely liked a lot of those yeah jewel dandler was great with glenn donaldson and and uh yeah i met that's when i met brian day from public eyesore and and he introduced me to a lot of additional music that i that i liked and yeah he really helped us you know get outside of omaha and try to bring bands to Omaha to play. That's when I really just kind of first started getting into experimental music, like truly. Sure. Before that, my idea of experimental music was like the Dead Sea or, mm -hmm. you know, which they are experimental or like the Shadow Ring, which is like a hugely important band in Omaha, like to a handful of us here. Sure, yeah. Well, one, one project that you worked with a few times has been Das Torpedoes, which I, um, I think we were kind of alluding to earlier, which was a solo moniker for the work of uh, Charles LaRue, or LaRoe, I'm not sure how you say his name, but uh, obviously you've been drawn to his music since you've reissued you know, a couple of his very limited run uh, cassettes here in the last few years. Um, explain kind of the draw uh, of his music and I guess what compelled you to put out some of these earlier, like really limited run tapes once again. Yeah. Well, 
at the time he was recording a lot of these these first releases, um, we were working together in Naturalist, and um, yeah, he started doing these Dust Torpedoes tapes, and they really were just just amazing. I mean, that just the hyper focus on each one and just the conceptual nature. And I mean, speaking about working with limited gear, he was working with like really, really limited gear, like getting this kind of grim, like power electronic sound, but then also like heavily working in field recordings and it was just all done really effortlessly. So, I mean, those, those Dust Torpedoes releases are, I mean, they're among my favorite mm -hmm. releases on Gertrude. And yeah. I just think it, I think it fits the aesthetic pretty, pretty perfectly. Sure. Yeah. Well, we're going to play a track from uh, the LP called The Madness Inspiration. It's the opening piece called Act One. And I can't remember, is this one entirely sold out or are there still copies available of this one out there? Uh, yeah, there's copies. Is there? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So here we go. If you're yeah. interested in uh, this Das Torpedoes, which is a great record, by the way, uh, oh, yeah. you can track yeah. this one down. So here again is uh, Das Torpedoes to start this block of music.
forsake your body Give up your tired soul Shake out the lovely lady ghosts Hypnotizing your bedroll I cut my lips shaving Now I squint at a crimson sun But I had to bring desire her baby The little bastard's gonna nurse and run Miss Sarah's still in the bathtub She likes to fall asleep in there And all the pages of the book she reads Will be baptized by her dripping hair If summer is the chariot Ripping open heaven's gate Then autumn is a redwood Burning believers at the stake You can wave a magic wand Over a piece of charcoal And watch your soldier grandfather Disappear into a foxhole And you can wave a hollow needle Over a red balloon And see the hungry prima donna Get swallowed by a spoon But Samson at the temple He left his golden locks by his bed I used to think strength is simple, he said Now I know it's all in my head So go on and give up your body Try and save your stumbling soul The crumbs of a long-lost lady Will be swallowed by the crow.
Thursday. The bender started on Thursday. I had gone to work at my menial low paid office job, dressed in my cheap charity shop suit. Later that day I had a job interview lined up. I hated job interviews and halfway through the morning was beginning to feel slightly nervous. The familiar knot in the stomach, the slight nausea. So I went into part of the office where I wouldn't, where I wouldn't be overheard and rang the number of my new prospective employers. Hello, may I speak to Mrs Crawford please? Certainly sir, can I ask who's calling? I told the female receptionist my name and was put through to Mrs Crawford. Hi Mrs Crawford, I'm terribly sorry, but I'm afraid that I won't be able to attend this afternoon's interview. Several people have work. Several people at work have rang in sick today and I just can't get away. I expected her to tell me to fuck off and die, but instead she said, Well that's quite alright, why don't we just meet up for a coffee sometime next week and we can discuss the job then. I was slightly taken aback, but happily agreed to meet Mrs Crawford the following week in town for coffee. Later I told my boss that I was going on my lunch break and would not be back as I had a job interview to attend. It was 12 noon. I walked around deciding where to go. Well actually I knew exactly where I was going to go. 30 minutes later I was in Captain Jack's pub, a large spacious place on the other side of the city. It really had very little in the way of atmosphere. There was a no music policy as is the case with so many of the modern chain pubs, but the drinks were relatively cheap and several people I knew drank there. I walked in, stood at the bar waiting to order a drink. It usually took a while as the pub was always busy and they had few bar staff. I looked around and noticed Tony, a guy I used to work with. He was sitting at a table on his own and waved at me. I waved back and turned back to the bar to order. Once I had paid for my pint of beer, I walked over to Tony's table. He was sitting with his usual bottle of strong cider. He said hello. How's the post office job going, I asked. They've been fucking us about. We were supposed to be contracted till the end of August, but now they're trying to say we've only got jobs till July. Tony was working as a temporary post office mail sorter on the other side of town. We chatted for a while, just catching up about with each other's news. Several regulars came and went. Tony's mate Nick, who had half a left ear, he apparently liked to be a bit rough with his women, one of them had bit him, had hit him with an iron in a hotel room. We were then asked to leave. Tom, who was drinking jugs of lager and who seemed worryingly intense, and others who I didn't recognise but I'd probably seen or even talked to before. My friend Graham, who I'd known for a few years and had become a good and trusted friend, despite my initial reservations about us only having one thing in common, drink. At one point Tony's wife came in to give him something which she had bought at the bakery across the road. I don't know if she had wanted him to eat it or not, but by the time he left the pub to go for work, at 5pm he had left it on the table. I left with Graham at around 5 we got a bus into town and went to the, the Bay Tree pub where I usually went each evening after work. The three people I worked with were there, but things got pretty hazy. I knocked over a pint glass and left in a hurry. I felt a little ashamed of myself to be acting like a drunk in a place where I was a regular and was always well behaved. I walked through town, through the crowds of people going home from work, going back to their wives and husbands and lovers. 
I bought myself some noodles, the first thing I had eaten all day, and ate them in a park. It started to rain. I slowly walked back to my room, but then I noticed the guy I used to work with standing on the street outside a bank. He looked a bit bewildered and lost, so I called his name, Dennis, and he smiled and came over to greet me. We decided to go for a drink and went down the road to Hurlers, a place which used to be quite good but was now a student hangout, complete with expensive prices. We chatted and drank for a while. Dennis was back in the dole after a brief spell working in an office. He had a lot of time in his hands and little money to speak of. After a while we said our goodbyes and I walked back to my room. I drank a bottle of cider and went to bed.
Well, as mentioned earlier, your own music has moved between various song-based forms to more open-ended, improvisational, even kind of jazz-influenced styles. And it seems like the work that I've come across from you in more recent years, though, has fallen into more of that kind of latter category. So I was just wondering if you've become maybe less interested in, in songwriting of late. I don't know if that's the, the right way to put it, or is it just <laughs> yeah. simply that the recordings that have found their way out into the world are just kind of more in this vein, or are you still kind of banging out songs in your free time? Well, yeah, well, that's one, one, one problem is just not always having much free time. So it's, yeah, but, but in general, I would say I'm definitely less interested in writing lyrics mm-hmm. right now, but I, tend to go in phases with that. And then another thing is I, I don't really listen to too much vocal-based music. Um, yeah, I, and I mean, I don't enjoy writing lyrics as much either. So, I'm, you know, I'm at a, I'm at an age where if I'm going to spend time on music, I, I should probably do something that, you know, I enjoy doing. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, so I don't, I slowly like kind of work on lyrics and at some point I'll definitely record another album like that. Right. You're not out. So you're not out playing like open mic nights, singer songwriter stuff is what you're saying. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not, I mean, yeah, I'm not a huge singer songwriter fan. I mean, there's definitely some that I really love. Mm -hmm. I mean, we obviously in Omaha have one of, one of the great lyricists and Simon Joyner. So oh, right. he, but I mean, uh, but I mean, his lyrics are, I mean, yeah, they, they're over the top of most singer songwriters. So right, right, right. Yeah. Great writer. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, maybe as a, as a follow up to that is, you know, what has been sort of the driving force behind some of your recent work? You said you don't listen to a lot of song writer stuff or you don't particularly enjoy sitting down necessarily to write lyrics but are there you know like particular composers or is it even like certain equipment or instruments that you've been you know like picking up or having you kind of consider other or just different approaches with your own music well yeah i think yeah gear can play a big part in in um and what I'm doing at the time, and I think something that's happened over the last three or four years is just getting back into recording just on four tracks, you know, mm-hmm. instead of, instead of uh, before that, I was, you know, recording digital for a few years, and that just became really, it just seemed to lose a lot of the, the energy. Um, like that Ray Cash self-titled album just had, so many overdubs, like mm-hmm. hundred. It seemed, I'm sure it's not hundreds of overdubs, but it really felt like I'd be going through, you know, several dozen saxophone overdubs and several dozen guitar overdubs, and just trying to, I guess, you know, comp, comp together like something that I liked. But in the last few years, just getting back and like actually utilizing the the four track as an instrument has like really been a big inspiration mm-hmm. like you said but, kind of restricting yourself in some ways um, makes it more worthwhile or pushing you to be creative within a certain within certain limitations yeah yeah and it, 
but it, I mean, in a weird way, you actually do feel like you're you are like using the studio as an instrument, even though the studio is just you know a little box. Mm-hmm. More so than you know, recording on a computer. Just I, I still feel like I'm just kind of tracking instruments, mm-hmm. like just doing overdubs. But I mean, the, the four track. I mean. Yeah, it really is an instrument, the sound of it, and you can play so much with speeds and pitches. So that that's definitely a big part of Citizen Electrical. It's like, I mean, it's pretty much just cello and the four-track and then run through a lot of guitar pedals and then just messing with loops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned in our correspondence uh, prior to this interview that the material on this latest rate cash cassette called Exile is likely going to be the last under that project name. And and this was a project that in, in the beginning was just you recording all the instrumental parts, but then over the years it has included kind of a bunch of musicians from the Omaha music community. So um, is there a particular reason that you feel like you need to put this project to rest, or do you feel like this is something that could simply be reactivated at, at any given time if if the circumstances were right, or or do you just feel like this Citizen Electrical is just like a new extension, a new arm of, of what you were doing with Ray Cash? Well, Ray Cash in the beginning, especially like, I think the first tracks were recorded when I was living in Austin, and so this, you know, towards the end of 2009, 2010, and those recordings came together. Yeah, I was playing everything myself, and they came together really quickly. Um, probably just on like a three or four day weekend, just drinking a lot of wine. And um, at, at the time, is like really in debt to library music and, mm-hmm. you know, production artists. And I, I also had, I've had for a long time an obsession with Henry Mancini and a lot <laughs> of 50s and 60s right, yeah. song, you know, composers. And uh, so, so the band is definitely you know, gotten away from that, which it's it's always going to get away from that when you include more people. I mean, I'm not really a musician, so that's one thing. I, I don't really play instruments very well, so it was really important at some point just to bring other people in, and and it was really fun, but I, I think if I do ever do another Ray Cash record, I might just just try to do it myself with just like a, a handful of instruments and not try to go too overboard with it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting to see that, like so many familiar names on all sorts of these projects coming out of Omaha. I mean, there's just this like core group of musicians that uh, seem to kind of lend their support and talents to one another's projects. Uh, and <laughs> I just have noticed that more and more here in recent years. And yeah, um, it seems yeah. to be like a pretty tight knit um, music community there has that sort of been your experience in the years that, or over the years? Oh yeah, de- yeah, definitely. I mean, people really love to get involved and play on everyone's recordings. And I mean, it's amazing that bands like Refrigerator and the Renders have actually come here to record. That's mm-hmm. something. If you had if you had told me that in the in 1990s that would happen, I would be pretty blown away by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's a really tight knit community, and um, that's. I mean, Simon has a big, has played a big part in like putting that together. Sure, right. But it, but it's definitely. I mean, it's. I mean, Omaha's a city, but it's definitely a small town, and 
so the the music community is pretty small. Right. So that's there's good points to that and bad points to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the '90s and early 2000s, bringing any sort of experimental music here, or really anything outside of rock, was very difficult. Yeah. I mean, they would they would come here to play, but there would just be no response to it. And it, I mean, it's still kind of, and it's still sort of difficult. Right. I mean, it's still right. a city that's dominated by by rock and guitars, but. I mean that's that's the never-ending battle. Right. That's a very uh, seems to be a very midwestern uh, dile- yeah. dilemma, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought we would set up something here from the latest Rate Cash release. It's called Exile. I mentioned it before, and uh, maybe the last one, maybe not. But uh, anything you can mention that was maybe different from that previous LP uh, that you put out for for this particular release. Well, yeah, this one was, whereas the other one was really like I wrote all the piano parts out and everything in advance. This one was really improvised, mm-hmm. but no one played in the, you know, no one played in the same room or played at the same time. Everyone just improvised over a click track and a bass line, and then, yeah, I just sort of collaged everything together to make it work. It was it was a really really fun project and um this one came out not on gertrude tapes it came out on is it catonic or yeah 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 that's a label uh kind of outside of woodstock new york okay well yeah let's play a track here this is uh, a piece called four decades again from rake cash
Falls. 
Well, to wrap up uh, the show, I thought we could take just a little bit of time to discuss some of the forthcoming releases that you have in the works with Gertrude Tapes, because um, you did provide a few things for us just to preview on this show. And I thought we would discuss just like two of the, I guess, the more one are the ones that are on the most immediate horizon. One of them is Lumen and one is from Tetsu Minata. And there are two artists that I'm not familiar with. Could you just kind of give us a little background on these two releases? Yeah. Um, well, actually, I wasn't too familiar with Lumen myself. This is one situation where um, someone sent me just a finished finished recording, you know, a, a file through email and asked if I would release it. So, I mean, you definitely get a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one that I was really drawn to. So, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to do it. And um, he's a guy who's based outside of Milan, Italy. Mm-hmm. So that that was interesting. And uh, as far as Tetsu, yeah, I, I'm a little, I was a, a little familiar with Tetsu's work. Uh, he released a few things on Union Pole, and Seaworth was the was the guy who told me um, it was might be someone I'd be interested in checking out. And yeah, I really loved what he sent, and excited to release that. It's a co-release with Kirigirisu Records, and uh, also Union Pole is doing the cassette version in Japan. Oh, so this will be an LP that you're putting out then? I'm going to do the, it's a cassette version, but, it is a, but Ted, Tetsu wanted, uh, he wanted a three-label release, so. Oh, okay. Just to kind of help, you know, spread it out. Right, Since right. there was no footprint here in the United States. Sure, yeah. Is the Lumen one also a cassette release as well? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. going to be a cassette well, another thing that you sent along, actually kind of going back to a group we were talking about earlier, was uh, this Naturalist. And, and this is actually some unreleased stuff. And I was actually surprised because, you know, as you mentioned, this is a group that goes back to like the late 90s when you started. So I was wondering, you know, is this is this new material? Are you, are you still playing uh, as a group? Yeah. Yeah, this is, well, yeah, we, we're definitely not playing. We, we haven't, I think our last show was... 2003 we did a show in in New York and we actually have a show coming up in January in Shanghai so it's kind oh, of weird. which which is where Charles Charles LaRue lives okay some uh Brian Day and myself are going to fly down there for a show and just hang out but yeah these are these are new recordings we just thought it you know we had taken a nice long 14 or 15 year break and <laughs> just brewing up some material huh? <laughs> yeah well it was a band that never really yeah we we did some cdrs and cassettes but we never really did any actual recording we would usually just kind of stick a walkman on stage <laughs> like in some random spot usually just on someone's amplifier we were we were just an incredibly lazy band <laughs> and we we played live a lot but just never really got around to recording so we we wanted to do something at some point sure yeah so and, and yeah chris fisher who uh runs unread records he's kind of the fourth member of this mm-hmm. so and is this something i mean do you have plans to put this out on Gertrude, or is this just you'll see what I, happens? 
Yeah, I don't think it'll be on Gertrude. My my plan, tentative plan, is not to release any more of my own stuff on Gertrude. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, we definitely want to release it. Just yeah, not sure what label yet. So if anybody's listening out there that runs a label, be on the <laughs> listen to the <laughs> yeah. last track yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, it's a real it's a real crowd pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well. Um, we're going to jump into uh, some of these tracks here again. We'll start with the Lumen one. And, and Lonnie, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thanks, David. I, I really appreciate the interest. Yeah. So here is a piece called uh, Leaving, once again, from Lumen.
And that's going to wrap up this installment of the show. I thought I'd end things where we began with another piece from that beautiful new Citizen Electrical album. And I'd like to thank L. Eugene Methy once again for taking the time to speak with me on this installment. If you'd like to find out the complete playlist for this show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that you can follow to bring you to each of the releases played. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. Check back in a couple of weeks for a new episode. And as always, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>